God, you are stronger. You are stronger than we can imagine. You are stronger than the sin that threatens to overtake us. It so easily entangles us. You are stronger than the world around us. You are stronger than the flesh that tempts us. You are stronger than the enemy that seeks to bring us down. Father, we stand in your strength. We rejoice in your strength. We survive with your strength, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And please be seated. You know, you can woo in church. That's, that's an okay thing. <laughs> well, good morning to you. This summer, we've been studying the book of 2 Timothy and a series that we've called Stronger. And this book is written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's a little bit older, uh, quite a bit older at this point, and he's writing this to Timothy. This is a young pastor that he's been mentoring for a number of years. And he's writing this book to encourage Timothy to be strong in his faith, to be strong in his convictions, to be strong in his ministry, and uh, to be courageous no matter what's going on around him, no matter what the circumstances are. Now, Paul, as he's writing, is stuck in prison. This isn't one of those little house arrests that are kind of comfy earlier in his life. This is an ugly prison. We've talked about it uh, during this series, but this is an ugly place. It's a miserable prison cell, and he's dictating this letter. And throughout the letter, he's spoken decisively. He's spoken assertively, confidently, boldly. And I can picture him standing up during some of his dictation because he's so into it. And, you know, he gets passionate about what he's faking, and he, and he starts gesturing boldly. Maybe he's waving his arms and sometimes even shaking shaking his fist in the air as he says things like, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love and spirit of discipline. Saying things like, preach the word, Timothy, be ready at all times, preach the word. And the arms are involved in this process and saying things like, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. This is a part of his letter. Today, though, we come to the very end of Paul's letter. And, uh, and the tone changes at this point. Instead of more teaching, instead of more theological instruction and, and encouragement, Paul starts talking about he starts talking about people of all things. And uh, lots of different people. Not only does he mention nearly 20 people by name, but this last section of 2 Timothy, to be frank, just seems to ramble a little bit. If you read through it, it just kind of seems like, wow, it's a little bit here, and then he goes here, and then he flashes back over here, and it rambles. I'm just being honest. Maybe, maybe Paul's feeling his age at this point, you know, and he's, he's getting tired from the energy it took to dictate this letter. Maybe he's getting fatigued and even a little bit weary and, and maybe a little weepy and, emo- and emotional as he reflects on all the people or so many people in his life. But as rambling as it may feel, and you'll see it because I'm going to read through it here in a few minutes, I believe there are a number of things that God wants to teach us specifically about relationships in this final passage here in 2 Timothy. Now, I'm going to do my best to organize these verses and help us apply apply them to our lives. And I pray that God uses today to bring a new strength and new conviction to your relationships. Because I don't think any of us could look at ourselves and say, you know, I've got too many strong relationships. I, I just have too many. I don't know what to do with this. Now, I want to read this whole passage up front. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's the ending of the letter, verses 9 to 22. I'm going to read the whole thing just so we get a feel for it. Again, you'll get the feeling of he kind of pongs around a little bit. But then we're going to refer back to it as we pull out kind of some of the meat that's tucked into some of those verses as we apply some of this. Now, Paul has just finished this impassioned section. Pastor Ron spoke about this last week, this impassioned section where he talks about his huge fulfilled purpose in life. And this is a wonderful section. And now he pauses 
to reflect a little bit, and, and maybe he even sits down, whatever is in his cell, you know, he's, he's finished some big stuff, and maybe he sits down and after standing and speaking with so much energy, and he begins this passage, let me read this to you, and I'm going to read a little with the little inflection that maybe he did himself. He takes a breath and he begins, and he says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Well, Demas, <laughs> he's deserted me because he loves the things of this world, and he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens, <laughs> he's gone to, gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. <laughs> Only Luke is with me. Thanks, Luke, for being here. Titus, excuse me, Timothy, bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Well, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also, bring my books and especially my papers. Alexander the coppersmith, oh, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him. For he fought against everything that we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he, the Lord, rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed at Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus sends you greetings, and so do Puddens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. May the Lord be with your spirit, and, and may his grace be with all of you. So let's see what this final section of 2 Timothy has to say. Kind of almost like a little Facebook page for Paul there, right? All these people being mentioned, friend, unfriend, you know, as you walk through all of this stuff. But, but so that was kind of confusing. Did you see how he kind of does this, and then he jumps over here? But we want to see what does it have to say about the power of relationships. Now, if you want to follow along in your outline, you can do that, some blanks to fill in, so you can kind of get some uh, form to this. We're going to look at the power of relationships that God will speak to us from Second Timothy. First of all, the power of relationships in your outline. Number one, people can be a huge encouragement in your life. People can be a huge encouragement in your life. Now, do you have anyone in your life that when you think about them, you just smile? You know, you just kind of smile. Some of you right now, just the smile's starting to crop up. Maybe it's someone from your past. Maybe it's someone present. Maybe it's someone who lives a long ways away, or maybe they're just around you all the time, which is wonderful. They, all those things. But, but either way, those people bring encouragement to your life when you smile when you think of them. Just this week, a few days ago, actually, a friend of mine from, from old days down in Southern California uh, shot me a Facebook note. He's a musician and ministry buddy, and, and it made me feel great. It was just a couple sentences, but it was kind of out of the blue, and it was this, this was someone that I worked with in ministry, kind of in the trenches for a whole bunch of years, just really cutting-edge things happening, and, and that one or two sentences of encouragement put a huge smile on my face as it brought back the friendship that we used to have in such a real way, and, and really the fact that that, that's who he is to me. You know, God used that in a real powerful way, and I smile about it. Well, the Apostle Paul, he, he feels the same way about some people in his life, and he expresses some of what gives him encouragement through those people. First, Paul acknowledges that encouraging people can provide comfort. Encouraging people can provide comfort, and we see that in this passage. 
We see in the first words I read today, right? We started verse 9. He says, it's Timothy. Please come as soon as you can. Please. There's a pleading there. Please come soon. Come, come now as soon as you can. See, Paul is in prison, and he really wants to receive comfort from Timothy. He needs the lift. He wants the fellowship of his great younger friend. It would feel so good to have you here, says Paul. Facebook is nice, but please come. I'd rather have you here. And, and, and there's comfort that he desires from Timothy. And later in this passage, Paul repeats his request. He kind of circles around and says, do your best to get here before winter. <laughs> you know, when I say come, I know it's not going to be today. You're not next door, but come, come soon. Come before winter. I could use your warmth. I could use the comfort of your presence as I continue to face this jail sentence and these trials that will most likely lead to my execution. Please come. Comfort. Well, second, Paul acknowledges that encouraging people can provide support. They can provide comfort, but they can also provide support. Now, in the middle of Paul jumping back and forth in these verses, we hear Paul ask for some specific things. He talks about some people, but then he comes back to Timothy and says, Timothy, when you do come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Trust. You know, my favorite coat. Bring that coat. Also bring my books and especially my papers. I really need those things, or at least I really want them. I really desire those things. And um, can you support me in this way? I'm looking for support here. That would encourage me a ton and make my life a lot easier right now with everything that I'm facing. Now, also, Paul mentions here that, that only Luke is with me, and, and that is a huge support for Paul as well. Now, Paul is not writing the letter himself. He's dictating it, and there's someone sitting there writing that. Most likely, it's Luke. Only Luke is here with me. And this is, this is the famous Dr. Luke, the physician, Luke the physician who is here. And so he's most likely writing down what Paul dictates. And so that's a huge support for him. This is something that Paul absolutely needs, a huge physical help. But on top of that, Luke is a doctor. Now, we mentioned that Paul is old. He's in these deplorable conditions. Who knows what his diet's like? Boy, if anybody needs a doctor, it's Paul right now. And hey, Here's Dr. Luke providing friendship, providing comfort, but more importantly, providing support that a doctor can give somebody in that situation. It's a big deal, and they provide that support, Luke and, uh, Luke and Timothy. Now, third, Paul acknowledges that encouraging people can provide partnership. Encouraging people can provide partnership. Now, partnership may include comfort, and it may include support. It may include both those things, but it's more than that. It's coming alongside a, perpen, a beside a person, excuse me, with shared purpose and vision, and that can be a huge encouragement, either in ministry, and parenting, and family, and business. Paul basically says, Timothy, bring Mark with you when you come. Bring Mark with you, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Now, now that, not that Mark isn't also a friend, you know, he, it's not, that's not the point, but as Paul sees his own activity limited, he's stuck here in this prison situation, but he's encouraged by the idea that this young, energetic, dynamic Mark might come on the scene, and he can see God expand what he wants to do through this ministry partnership, and that's exciting for him. I'm encouraged by, bring Mark, he's going to come and add to this partnership. Of, he's going to support and comfort, but partnership, ministry is going to happen. I have to pause because what we're doing is breaking down these 13 or 14 verses here at the end of 2 Timothy, and we're looking at Paul's life, trying to organize some of what seems like disjointed thoughts, and then we can go, oh, that's good for Paul. But see, I don't think God ever puts the Bible in front of us to say, look what's good for Paul. He really wants to say, what's good for us? And so with each one of these points that we look at, it's gonna, you're going to have on your outline, it's going to say, so. And there's a so down there, and it's kind of what I would call the so what factor. Okay, that's nice for Paul. What about us? So... So what, in a sense? So I'm going to lead you through some of that because I feel like God wants to build in us. So the so for us today, the so what factor is simply this. 
Seek out these friends. Seek out these friends. And I believe that's God's directive here. We would all like to have more of these friends, right? I mean, maybe there's a better way than just sitting back and hoping some encouraging people fall out of the trees and onto our front doorsteps, right? Kind of like, gosh, Lord, I need more of these people. Man, you know, you're the closest trees to your head. You're just hoping, right? I think there's maybe a better way to do that. Now, not that God couldn't do that, but we need to seek out these friends. See, here's the key to what we see in this passage. Paul, this is strong Paul. Paul, a strong apostle Paul. He's not afraid to ask for these things. He's asking for it. This is Paul. He doesn't need anything. He, he, he's not too proud or too independent to ask for help. And he's built friendships of authenticity and trust that allows him to ask, knowing that his encouraging friends will respond to what he asks. So those things are already in place. So I think for us, we really just need to ask the question, what do we need to do in order to develop stronger relationships that will place more encouraging people in our lives? Because if we keep doing what we've always done, I don't know that we're going to get anything different. And so maybe, just maybe, there's an opportunity to begin praying and looking and seeking and asking for this into our lives to have encouraging people that can provide that comfort and support and partnership that you see in Paul's life. Well, second, when we look at the power of relationships, we see that people can be a huge discouragement in your life. Now, this is the fun section today. <laughs> Not really, right? We talked about encouragement. I asked you if there's anyone in your life who makes you smile when you think of them. Well, let me ask you another question. Anybody in your life who makes you wince a little bit when you think of them? You know, kind of wince or... Or maybe even grimace or frown or even a little bit of a growl. <laughs> True confessions there. Now, I, I thought, do I, um, do I share an example of this? And unfortunately, I think all of us have a number of people like this in our lives. And discouragement that comes with them and from them can be a killer. So there's no one up here since we moved up here 12 plus years ago. So I had to think way back to Southern California days, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. We have people around us that way. Way back I, uh, when I used to live in Los Angeles and work in the studio music industry, there was one particular client that, although he paid really well and hired my production company a number of times, every single time I worked for him, I swore it was going to be the last time. He just made it difficult, not just professionally, but personally. You know, personality clashes, and I found myself, oh, you know, we're doing creative, we're creating cool music and fun things, and I'm dying doing it, you know. And, and some of my music business partners would just laugh at me as I begin to foam at the mouth at this guy. I mean, they knew I was a follower of Jesus. Some of my work coworkers were also, and some were not, but they would watch his anomalous just laugh at me. as like, you really have a hard time with this guy. Yes, I do. Take me out of here, you know. Keep him in the other room of the studio. It was a bad day. I know you can't relate to this at all. You have no relationships like that at all. So this is just me working through some of this. Well, Paul mentions some of these kind of people in this passage too. He has some in his life. And I'm comforted by the fact that Jesus had some people that weren't his best friends either in the process here too. But we see several different types of discouragement and discouraging people for Paul. First of all, he sees that these type of people can abandon you. Discouraging people, part of the discouragement can be abandonment. Now, psychologists can talk for days about how feelings of abandonment can negatively impact a person, especially in their formative years. Being abandoned is an awful thing. Feeling abandoned can just be destructive. Now, Paul is nowhere near his formative years. Okay, we're talking about old Paul here. But even still, it goes to the heart, and it hurts bad just the same. And he says this. He shares this early on. He says, Demas, and he, he, he says him by name. I, I at least left the name of the guy off that I talked about. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. 
I can probably see him shaking his head like I am. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Paul sees Demas not only leave him, this is someone that Paul has poured some of his life into, and I think it hurts that all of a sudden, not only did Demas just leave and abandon me, but he left because he made horrific decisions. He's walking away from the Lord and decided, you know what, I don't want the Jesus thing, I want the world. Ooh, that feels good. Not only is he gone, but he's taken a piece of my heart with him here and making hor- horrible decisions. So he sees, he sees this and he feels this. It hurts. Now, we don't know the specific situations regarding Crescens and Titus about they're gone, but he uses this in this little passage in this section, and it looks like, well, this guy's, these people are gone, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling abandoned for whatever the circumstances are. And it's a horrible thing. It's not a great place to be. Second, discouraging people not only can sometimes discouragement come through abandonment, but also discouraging people can attack you, attack you. Now, that seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? I mean, getting attacked can pretty much always fall into the discouraging category, (laughs) at least in my book, right? So getting attacked. Now, what do we mean by this? Well, he dives right into it. It's funny because he talks about this, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, he brings up Alexander. Oh, yeah, Alexander. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm but the Lord will judge him for what he's done. Ooh, that's probably some significant harm if he's saying the Lord's going to get him for it, you know. Be careful of him, he's warning Timothy. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. Now, what do we know about Alexander? He's probably, okay, he's a coppersmith, a metal worker, and uh, it seems like most scholars agree that this is probably the guy who helped put Paul in, in, in prison. And he's after him. He might be one who's testifying against him in these trials. This is a guy that looks at Paul and says, I'm going to get you. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to get you thrown in prison. I'm going to get you killed. He's after him. And he's just going on the attack. And he's going on the attack so much that Paul's like, whoa. And, and not only am I getting attacked, but my whole ministry. And look out for him. Timothy, look out for this guy. This hurts a little bit, right? I mean, direct attacks can take the breath out of you and almost flatten you as much as like a, like a direct punch to the gut. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I have in my life when something just seemed out of the blue and someone came after you in some way and it was like, whoa, where is that coming from? And almost like floors you. It feels awful. That's what Paul has, and it's discouraging. And you know what? There's sometimes not a thing you can do about it. It happened to Jesus, didn't it? Direct attacks through nothing, maybe even that he did, except love a lot of people, but they can come. So you may not be be able to do anything about it, but it can hurt like crazy. I told you this was a fun part, right? Third, discouraging people. Here we go. You got a few words to write down. Discouraging people can get busy and forget about you or ignore you. And here I'm talking specifically about friends. You say, wait, that's not a friend. Friends don't get, don't they? Don't they? Now, you may say so-called friends, but I think the reality is sometimes it happens. Friends can do that. Maybe you've experienced that. You may not think it's right. You might not think it's right, but it can happen. Well-meaning friends can get busy. They can get distracted. They can get unfocused. They can get, you know, kind of prioritized into focused on their own lives. They may not know what your needs are. They may not be aware of your situation, or maybe they just don't respond to them in the way you think they should. The reality is it hurts. Rather than saying that they're right or wrong, the point is sometimes someone's not there and it hurts. Paul says, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Now, he probably didn't expect 85 friends to show up, but certainly he looks around and it's like, there's nobody here. There's not one. Everyone abandoned me. And he says, may it not be counted against them. 
You know, I paused. May it not be counted against him tells me that this is pretty serious. If it was a little bit, a little deal, he wouldn't have said anything. But he's like, it could be counted against them. My prayer and my, my release from that is may it not be counted against them. This is a big deal. Nobody, nobody was here. They forgot about me. Everybody abandoned him. I've reflected on this because in this passage he says only Luke is here with me. And Luke is what? Luke is sitting here writing down his words. But at this point, everyone abandoned him. He's dictating these words to Luke who also abandoned him. I sit, picture Luke going, ouch. <laughs> should, I, can I, should I say everyone abandoned me, including Luke, who's sitting here writing these words, you know, he's kind of squirming while he's writing these words down, because if everyone abandoned him or wasn't there with him, they would include Luke. So why weren't they there? They were afraid, they were busy, they were preoccupied, they got the court date wrong, all the things that could happen that that friends can do, that can happen. You know, attacks hurt, abandonment goes deep, but seeing friends kind of fade away and not be there for you in your time of need, and all the ways that that can kind of happen, and the doubts that come up, that, that's discouragement too. That can be huge. So, yeah, you feel good, don't you? <laughs> What's the point of this? How can we respond to this idea that people can be a huge discouragement in our lives? Because there's a so what factor. Do we just feel really bad about it <laughs> and move on? Now, I really believe God wants to teach us something, and that would be this. We need to do this. Create healthy boundaries, but also forgive. Create healthy boundaries, but also forgive You see, when it comes to discouraging people in our lives, we see Paul do the two things in response. First of all, create healthy boundaries. Paul draws the lines with some of these people so that they won't keep hurting him from up close, right? You can't help some things from a distance, but there's a time to say, boy, if I keep inviting you into my world and you keep smashing me in the face, I need to maybe put up a wall. doesn't mean that I won't love you, that I won't care about you, but there needs to be healthy boundaries in this relationship. Jesus calls us to love. But that, that, that does include an opportunity for boundaries. In fact, I'm pretty sure that his boundary towards Alexander, the bad guy, was pretty significant. In fact, he's saying to Timothy, look out for him. Didn't say don't love him, but look out for him. Healthy boundaries are there. But secondly, we need to be ready to forgive. So some of us have problems throw, you know, putting up boundaries, healthy boundaries with people. Some of us, so our boundaries are so big and so huge, it's like, done with you, see ya, and just kind of kiss them off, right? Just done. And the reality is there's forgiveness needs to be a part of this. Now, Paul obviously forgave those who weren't there to support him at his trial. Remember, he said, may it not be counted against them. He's like, I've forgiven them. Lord, you forgive them. Let's move on. And Luke is even with him right now. So obviously he forgave Luke for not being there. But he mentions Mark. Remember Mark, the guy he said, bring him along. He can be a partner in ministry. Briefly, because I could take too much time with this, but Mark was one who went on Paul's first missionary journey with him. Young Mark, John Mark, come alongside. He's going to be a great partner. And halfway through, Mark goes, I'm out of here in bales. And Paul's like, excuse me? And so later on, on his next missionary journey, one of his buddies says, well, let's bring Mark along. And Paul's like, uh-uh, leave Mark behind. That guy bailed out last time. I am not going to do that again. We'll bring valuable people only, please. Here we are years later, and Paul looks at Mark and doesn't say that flake. Paul looks at Mark and says, he's grown. Forgiveness is there. Bring him along. This is going to be a partner in ministry. This is good. I need this guy. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, both need to happen. You can't have just forgiveness with no boundaries, in a sense, and you can't have no boundaries, or excuse me, you can't do the boundaries thing and have them be so big that there's no forgiveness. But God calls us to do both. 
And maybe there's one of those areas in your life that you struggle with discouraging people, either forgiveness, saying forget it, no way, or just I keep kind of letting them into my life and they hurt me again and again. And God would say, let's find a place of health to deal and have stronger relationships, even with discouraging people. Nowhere am I saying that you can necessarily change discouraging people into encouraging people. But maybe, maybe that happens. It happened for Mark, right? For Paul, for this, this friend Mark. Now third, when we look at the power of relationships, we've seen encouraging people, we've seen discouraging people from this passage. Number three, we'll see that Jesus is the only perfect friend. Jesus is the only perfect friend. Now, this truth is really meant to be a huge encouragement, and I'm not putting down human relationships at all, but I am lifting up the amazing friendship of the perfect God and the perfect friend, and that's, that's Jesus, the friendship of God, and we see that in Jesus. Even, others will let you, even when others will let you down, and it will happen, unfortunately, it will happen, Jesus will be there, supporting and soothing, saving, strengthening, stabilizing, always, always he'll be there. Paul has shared, he says, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Remember, we just read that. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord, the Lord stood with me and he gave me strength so I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Now, Paul starts this little section by sadly noting the failure of his human friends, right? They, they dropped the ball. But then he starts, he starts sharing about how Jesus was there for him in his time of need, and he lights up. I can see, you know, remember he's sitting back, and this about Demas, and this about Alexander, and hey, bring Mark, and bring my cloak, and mm-hmm, and then he starts, everybody abandoned me, but... But then he gets to the court case, and Jesus was there, and he stood with me, and he strengthened me, and he saved me. He saved my life. In fact, he's going to continue to save me from every evil thing, and all glory to him forever and ever. Amen. You know, and he's probably stood back up now. Looks like, here we go again, Paul. <laughs> right? Easy. He's rescued me. He's done all these things. Now, man may not stand with me, but Jesus is more than enough. He is everything, and it's worth standing up for. It's worth getting passionate about, and that's where Paul is. And, and what does that mean to you today? Well, you really maybe have two possible responses, well, more than that, but two that I'd encourage. One is the first so, ask him. Ask him to be your forgiver, your leader, and your friend. Because maybe you're here today and it's your first day in church in the last, in, you know, in five or 10 or 20 or 30 years, or maybe you've been coming church off and on or whatever, but maybe you've never asked Jesus to forgive you. Put your belief in him and, and ask him to lead your life and to be your best and perfect friend. And the truth is he offers that right now to each and every single one of us. Unconditionally, you don't earn it. It's just a gift. He offers us what no one else can, which is total release from the bondage and guilt and baggage and penalty of sin. He offers us freedom and cleansing and a new life, a new purpose. He offers us a new close relationship with God and perfect friendship that will never, ever let you down. Sounds pretty good to me. That offer is there for every single one of us. It's kind of on the silver platter right in front of you saying, would you like this? I urge you today to ask him into your life if this is you. Why wait? I'll tell you right now that in just a few minutes when we close the service, I'm just going to pray and I'll, I'll lead a prayer. And if you want to ask him to be that for you, you'll be able to do that. Because he wants that for you, but he's not going to force himself. 
the offer is there and says you can take him up on that. But maybe you've already done that. You said, yeah, John, I did that six months ago. I did that six years ago. I did that decades ago. There's a prospect and opportunity for you too, and that is this. The so what would be to trust him to take care of you. Yeah, you trusted him to be your leader and to be your savior, to be your Lord, to be your, you know, all those things that are there and is your friend. But right about now, when things start coming up in life, you start handling it or trying to handle it on your own. Jesus says, I'm not here just to sit on the sidelines. I'm a part of your life. So maybe you prayed the prayer and now it's about the trust. Will you take, will you trust him to take care of you the way he promises to you or will you continue to try to do it on your own? Are you willing to say, you're in my life, and now I'm ready to trust you to take care of my finances, take care of my employment or my lack of employment? I'm going to trust you to take care of my struggling marriage or my kids that are going sideways, just this depression and hopelessness that I have in life. I'm going to give you that trust. I'm going to take that step because I believe you are the one who loves me more than anybody. Well, finally, when we look at the power of relationships, we see that um, we still need relationships, even with Jesus in our lives. We still need relationships, even with Jesus in our lives. And this is the fourth and and final one. So you have Jesus. That's awesome. For those of you that do, it's the most important thing in your whole life. And so did Paul. He had Jesus very closely But we see in these verses that even when other people let him down and Jesus was there, remember that glory forever and ever, amen, Paul still reached out to other people, even with that in place. He said, Timothy, I need you. I need you, Luke. Mark, sure, you've let me down and you may do it again, but I need you. You see, Jesus never intended for his relationship with you to be all that you need. It it was never meant to replace, to completely take the place of our human relationships. As imperfect as people are, he wants us to be in relationship with each other. Now, it may be messy. Okay, it will most likely be messy. Isn't that what relationships are? Often, right? It may not always work perfectly. In fact, (laughs) it will never work perfectly on a human level. But it's how God designed us to have those relationships on top of that relationship with Jesus. They're not mutually exclusive. So where does this leave us? What do we need to be willing to do as a result of this idea? Remember the so what factor? First, it's this. Be willing to trust people even after you've been let down. And I know that may sound easy and easier said than done, but there's truth here. All of us have been hurt by others. And some of us have been hurt a lot by a lot of others. And it's not fair. I'm not saying it's fair and it's not fun. It feels horrendous. But in order to be in positive, encouraging relationships, the kind that God calls us to be in with others, we have to be willing to put our trust back out there wisely, the right time in the right place with the right people. But we've got to be willing. We have to allow people to get close to us close enough so they can help us, which also means close enough that they could hurt us. You see, in order to get close enough to get the benefits of the one, you're going to be close enough to get the potential drawbacks of the other, and that's what the trust is involved. That's scary. I think for some of us, we're like, I don't want to go there. The benefits is what God wants to call us to, and knowing that Christ is the one who will fill in the gaps. 
Are you willing to do that, to take that chance? Secondly and finally, God calls us to look to be an encouraging friend as a part of this final so. Be an encouraging friend. You see, we can spend a lot of our time looking for encouraging friends, and I think that's a good thing to do. Or we could even hole up and protect ourselves from others, you know, because of all the hurts from our past. But what God really wants us to do is put ourselves out there to be this kind of friend to others. I mean, you think about it, Paul was that kind of friend to Timothy before Timothy was that kind of friend to Paul. Paul chose to encourage, to invest in young Timothy, and eventually over time, here Paul is reaching out to Timothy and asking for some of that same encouragement back. Paul just took it on early himself and said, I'm going to be a friend, I'm going to be a mentor, I'm going to be an encourager to this young guy, because that's what God calling me to. That's what God is calling me to. And eventually Timothy was able to return that to him. So are you willing to do that? To ask God who you might be an encourager to? Not just a one-time gesture or word of encouragement, okay? Not just in the lobby going, you know, hey, good to see you, God bless you this week. Hey, I did my job, you know. Not that that's bad, you can do that, you know. Give a one-time encouragement to someone, but to say, I'm gonna get in relationship with someone intentionally and encourage them. I'm gonna choose to be an encourager to that person, that person in my life or that new person in my life. See, that's what stronger relationships look like here at the end of 2 Timothy. And and this is what they can look like in each of our lives. They really can if we allow the Holy Spirit to prompt us and to lead us and to move us in his way. And we can respond. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this morning. And um, Lord, I... I look at, again, I just reflect on the first time I read this passage when I was going to teach on it, going, wow, Paul seems to be all over the place. And then really seeing the truth of, of the struggle of relationships, God, but the value of relationships that are getting stronger. So, Father, I would pray that for each one of us, that we would take a look at our hearts, take a look at you and the people around us, and that you would give us conviction and courage and strength and motivation to pursue stronger relationships, to deal with the encouraging people in great ways, to look for them, to deal with discouraging peoples in proper ways with boundaries and forgiveness. And God, I would pray right now, even as I offered the invitation a little earlier, Lord, that if there's anybody, even one person sitting here this morning, that that right now is saying, I don't have that friend in my life. You may know about him uh, a lot or a little, but if you desire that, it's as easy as, as receiving that gift. And you simply do that by praying. And I'd lead you in a prayer right now to be able to just admit that you're not perfect. That's pretty easy to do. The Bible calls that sin. Admit you're not perfect and that you believe in Jesus as the one who came and died and rose again to take the penalty of your sin, to to, to rescue you, to free you. And then just ask him to lead your life. Ask him to come into your heart and be your leader and be your forever best friend. It's that simple. And he, and he will do that for you, and he will never, ever leave you. And Lord, for those of us who have done that, Father, I pray that we would take that next step to strengthen our relationship with you, but with others as well, God, to know that that trust can be scary, but it's going to be worth it, Lord. Strengthen us, motivate us, encourage us, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen.